So if you're visiting with us, uh, my name is Drew. I'm the discipleship minister here. We are happy that you have uh, joined us this morning. And I'm just thankful. Um, I just want to say thank you to you guys for doing that with us. Um, there are moments where we want to do the things that we would hopefully normally do and be able to model that for our kids. And so for you guys as adults modeling that for our, our children and our students, I just want to say thank you because they will remember this. They will remember that awkward time they had to come in and stand in front of a bunch of strangers who would then pray for them. But then when they get to be older, they'll go, ah, yes, now I know what to do. I'm going to pray for these other kids. We just appreciate that. Got a couple things before we dive in. The first is still on this topic. Uh, we are going to bless and encourage uh, some, some of the teachers or maybe all the teachers and um, staff at Hook Elementary this year. We've done this in the past and we do this through some gift bags that we uh, put together. And so you have an opportunity to be a part of that, whether you want to buy a couple things, whether you want to buy the whole bag. Uh, we're also going to need help assembling them. Uh, you can go to choicecc.org forward slash uh, teachers to find out more information about that. If you need a list of what the items are, there are some printed on the info desk. Uh, feel free to grab that, but all of the information is online. Uh, the other thing is that to next week, uh, well, I'll be teaching a class called Discipleship 101. I've talked about this um, a couple times already. It's just going to be our opportunity to dive into what discipleship is. Uh, it's going to be two weeks, so we're going to cover just about everything that we can in those two weeks. But if you are curious about that, if you want to know what we mean when we say disciple and discipleship and all of those sorts of things, we'd love for you to join. You can register at choicecc.org forward slash growth classes. Or as someone told me, they're just going to show up. You can do that too. Um, either way, it works out. We'll, we'll make space. Uh, last but not least, I want to just uh, acknowledge, because we put this out there as a challenge, that... Uh, Almost 30 days ago, some of you began reading your Bibles. You committed to reading your Bible every day, and you committed to praying every day. And on Wednesday, that 30 days is up. Um, I just want to acknowledge that, because otherwise it was just like we just threw something out there, and then it doesn't, like, it didn't matter. But it, did, it does matter. And hopefully for those of you who took that challenge and you kept at it, or even if you were sporadic in it, you got to watch what God does in your life when you devote time um, to pray, when you devote time to read his word, you get to watch what the word of God does in your lives. So um, congratulations to those of you who finished that um, and or sputtered along, but you still got there. So um, thank you for doing that along with us. Today we're going to start a new series that we're calling Just One. Over the next three weeks, uh, we're going to be looking at this idea of just one. And I want you to start before we even dive into this and think about the person that is responsible for bringing you to Jesus. Maybe this was a neighbor. Maybe this was a teacher. Maybe this was a grandparent. Maybe it was a friend. I know from my own life, my parents are responsible. Um, because they did what a lot of parents do, which is they took me to church. Even when I tried to get out of it. When I tried to play hooky so I could watch wrestling on Sunday mornings, when I was like, oh, I don't feel so well, Mom. Like, I was still going to church. And I praise God that she did that, because that is where I met Jesus. And I got to make him my Lord and Savior and the journey continues to this day. But for many of us, we have just one person we can point to. 
For some of us, it's our family. For some of us, it was a friend who said, hey, come to this thing at church. Or that friend you watched in their lives as they were acting and being Jesus, and you went, I need to know more about what's going on here. And I know there's another category. Uh, there's, lot, there's lots of categories, but another I want to just acknowledge is that um, some of us came to faith because of a significant other. Some people joined youth group because there was a cute boy or cute girl that they were chasing, and mom and dad wouldn't let them date. I know that that happens, and God uses all sorts of different situations, but I want you to think about that one person, because maybe your story is different without that one person. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to ask you, we're going to challenge you to intentionally find just one person to engage with intentionally about Jesus. We're going to ask you to find one person that you can engage with intentionally for Jesus. But let's set some groundwork here. First and foremost, we have to start with that reaching the lost is at the heart of Jesus and his ministry. Reaching the lost is at the heart of Jesus and his ministry. He talks about lost coins. He talks about lost sheep. Talks about, he talks about lost sons. He talks about the sick who he's here to help. He talks about all of the people that are out there that, that need to know him and need to know God. At the heart of his ministry, he's seeing these people, which means we as his followers, need to have his eyes and his heart. So if you would, join me in Luke 10, uh, verse 1. We're going to start there. It's on page 1027 if you, have, uh, if you need the Bible in front of you. And we're going to look at two different passages today, both from the book of Luke, where we get to just see how Jesus sees people, see how he interacts with them, and we're going to start on this sort of bigger stage. So in Luke verse, or excuse me, Luke chapter 10, verse 1, it says this. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent, two by, sent them two by two ahead of him to every town where he was about, and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. So Jesus sets up what we could uh, sort of term a little missions trip. And he's already done this once in the book of Luke. Back in Luke 9, Jesus sends out the original 12. And the 12 he sends out, he says, go and teach the good news, cast out demons and heal. And so they go and do it. And they come back and they go, Jesus, it worked. Imagine that. Something that Jesus tells you to do worked. So he does this other missions trip again, where he designates more disciples. 72, or depending on the translation, 70 of them. And he sends them out as well. And he says these things as he preps them to go out on this trip because he's teaching them to do ministry. 
He's teaching them to see people the way he sees people, to love people the way he loves people. And so he sends them out. And he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now, I don't need to convince you, I don't think, that the harvest is plentiful. I imagine you know that there are people all around you in your sphere and the, the next sphere out that you only sort of know, even the strangers in your life. I think you know that there are a lot of people who don't know Jesus. There are a lot of people who need to be somebody's just one. You might be able to, and you shouldn't, but you could probably throw a rock and find someone, right? I don't have to convince you of that, I don't think. Because it's true today like it was then. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. So when, they, when he's sending them out, he knows they're going to encounter a bunch of people who don't necessarily believe in him, don't know him. And so it is their job as he, they go ahead of him to tell them, tell these people they encounter, about Jesus and about the good news. He says the workers are few. And I think that's true. It was then and it is today. And if I'm honest, when, I, when I'm preaching this, I'm preaching this sermon as much to myself as I am to anybody else. Because I have not been good at this. I have been under the mindset that I work at a church, just bring the people in the building and that'll kind of work out. And maybe some of us have been in that mindset too. But the fact of the matter is, is that's not what Jesus called me to do. And that's not what Jesus called you to do. This is great that we can be a body and a family and we can be the body of Christ together. But as individuals, we have a mission that we signed up for when we said yes to Jesus. And so, are the workers few? Are, the, are there few workers? Yes. But let's change that. Let us be part of that. Let us be on mission, as Jesus has asked us to do. And so as he's sending them out, he's telling them that the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, they need to get in action. And then he says, but ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest fields. So he's reminding them, this isn't all on you. I need you to be obedient. I need you to be faithful, but it's not all on you because there is a Lord of the harvest. God is at work in the midst of this. But you need to ask him. And we can even see he, he tells them, don't take anything with them, right? He says, don't take a purse or a bag or sandals. And he does this and back in Luke 9 too when he sends out the 12. He doesn't let them bring anything because he wants them to rely on God. He wants them to rely on his provisions, his faithfulness. He wants them to learn as they do ministry that God will provide. And so we should probably do the same. There's also this word here in verse 3. It says, go, exclamation point. There's an urgency to this message. Jesus is pumping them up. This is the pep rally. This is everything. And then he's like, go, get at it. Let's go. And I just asked the question because I had to ask it of myself as I read this. Do we have as much urgency as Jesus? Do we have the same urgency in our lives? You know, 
I think about it, and a lot of times in my life I haven't. I haven't had that urgency for my neighbor or for my family or stranger or my enemy. If I'm honest, I don't, I don't always have that urgency, but, I, but Jesus seemed to have it, so I need to find it as well. We need to find that urgency as well. And just because there's this plentiful harvest, Jesus isn't only about the crowds. And for some of us, myself included, the crowd gets to be a little worrisome. Might even cause some anxiousness in me because that's a lot of people. But Jesus, he loved the crowd and he loved the individual. He loved the crowd and the crowd loved him. The crowd loved that he did miracles. The crowds loved that he gave them food. The crowds loved that he healed the sick and the lame and the diseased. They loved that about him. And they would flock to him because of that. There's another group that loved him too from this crowd. And it's because it is the, those on the fringes. Because over and over and over again in the Gospels, we see Jesus not going to the religiously healthy but the religiously sick. Those who were on the fringes of society, those who were deemed unclean, those who were not the people that, like the tax collectors and the sinners, those are the people he went to. Those are the people he had a heart for. Over and over we see this, and the crowds loved him for this because the religious leaders were like, oh, what are you, what are you doing? Why would you eat with that tax collector? Why would you eat with that sinner? I don't understand. Why would you do that, Jesus? And it's because he loves everybody. He loves the crowds and he loves the individuals. And I want us to look at a passage where this all plays out in one fail swoop. And I'm going to apologize now because this probably needs to be like four sermons, just this passage, but we don't have time for that. <laughs> and you're saying, thank you, I have lunch to get to. So um, if you would, go to Luke uh, chapter 8, please. Uh, if you need the Bible in front of you, it is on page 1025. And we're going to get to see where Jesus interacts with the crowd and he interacts with the individual all at the same time because Jesus' heart is always after just one. So in chapter 8 of Luke, verse 40, it says this. It says, Now when Jesus had returned, a crowd, here, here they are, welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. So let's just pause there. Jesus shows up and the crowd is waiting on him. They're surrounding him. And what happens? A man named Jairus, a Jewish leader, pushes through the crowd and comes up to Jesus. Now let's just soak that in for a second. The enemy of Jesus... A minimum because of his standing, maybe not personally, but because he is a leader of the synagogue, he is more or less an enemy because these are the people who are after Jesus, right? He comes up to Jesus in the midst of this crowd because his 12-year-old daughter is dying. In the midst of all of these people, this person comes up and he falls at his feet and he pleads for him to come with him to his house. And then Luke says, at the end of verse 42, he says, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. So Jesus apparently said yes. In the midst of all of this, 
he saw just one person. And not just any one person, but one that someone might term his enemy. He saw one person and was surrounded by this crowd. I don't know if you've ever been in a space like this. It's probably been a couple years because of COVID. But have you ever been in a spot where there's just people and you're just like walking like this? Last time this was really a thing for me was when I did student ministry and we were at a junior high convention. Lots of like 5,000 junior high kids. And they weren't crushing me, so, I mean, they were smaller, so it was more like at my elbows. But they were crushing me, and they smelled like junior high kids. And I was getting, like, pushed around a little bit, and I was just like, oh, that's a thing. And this is what I imagine with Jesus, except they're grown adults, and they're all swarming him because it's Jesus. Because he's the one that gives food. He's the one who does miracles. He's the one who pays attention to us. He's the one who loves us. And in the midst of that, Jesus is headed to this guy's house because he's seen this one person. He's paid attention to this one person. Let's continue. In verse 43, as a woman, excuse me, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him, touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Verse 45, who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that the power has gone out from me. So in the midst of this crowd, they're all pressing in on Jesus. They all want to be there for him. They want to see him. Maybe they want him to kiss their baby. Maybe they want to take a picture. Okay, they didn't have cameras, but like whatever, that's what would have happened today, right? They're all trying to selfie with Jesus. And Jesus goes, wait, 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 stop, 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 stop. Who touched me? And of course, Peter, thanks, Peter. Uh, all of them, Jesus, <laughs> right? Like, if I, I mean, we would have done this too. Like, Peter gets a bad rap, but let's be honest, we would have done this too. If Jesus looked at you and said, who touched me? You would have gone, um, I don't know. All of them, none of them, everybody, I don't know Jesus. And he said, no, somebody touched me. Somebody touched me. I felt the power go out of me. Because even in the midst of this crowd, he was focused. He could be focused on just one. He's following just one to go save just one. And in the midst of that, he feels someone touch him, touch his cloak. And he can stop in the midst of that and be focused on just one. Verse 47. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling, fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Jesus saw her. He names her. He calls her daughter. He changes her life in this moment because he could focus on just one. Her life changes because she no longer is unclean. This bleeding problem that she had for 12 years makes her unclean and makes her not a part of the community. Now, all of a sudden, she has, her whole status changes. And Jesus calls her daughter because he could focus on just one. His eyes and his heart allowed him to see 
just this one. Verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. My heart breaks for Jairus every time I read this. Because if I'm Jairus, one, I've already kind of put myself in this weird spot. I've gone against my Jewish brothers and sisters and against the, the Sanhedrin, the synagogue. I've gone against the priests because I came to Jesus because I heard he was the only guy who might be able to do this. And I shove my way through the crowd, elbowing and pushing, sorry ma'am, whatever, and I get to Jesus. And Jesus shockingly goes, sure, I'll go with you because he saw just one. So then I'm bulldozing my way back through the crowd. Like there's a sea of emptiness because I'm just linebackering through. Like get out of my way. I'm not sorry this time, ma'am. Like I need to get there because I need Jesus to get to my daughter who's dying. And then I turn back and Jesus is just standing there. What are we doing, Jesus? Let's go. I probably wouldn't have said that, but maybe I would have. I don't know. Like I'm a desperate man if I'm Jairus at this point, right? And I turn back and he stopped. And he saw this one woman who touched him. And then maybe I just go, I was right. Do you see what he just did with this lady? She's healed. Like, come on now, Jesus, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I turn and the servant has come to tell me my daughter's dead. The roller coaster that Jarius must have been on. And again, that's a completely different sermon, but I can't miss this moment where Jesus had time to stop for one and then continue on. And then in that moment, he stops for one as the other one wants him to come, like, let's go, let's go, let's go. But the beauty is we're not going to stop reading right there because otherwise that'd be super sad. So verse 50, hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. And so Jesus goes People are wailing outside, they're crying, and he's like, stop wailing, this is fine, she's just asleep. And so even in this moment, Jesus is able to continue to focus on the one, just one. In the midst of all of this chaos, in the midst of all of these people who have all of these things going on, Jesus' eyes and heart can be focused on one person. And so he heals her and come, brings her back to life. And as disciples of Jesus, we are called to follow him and be on mission for him. As followers of Jesus, we are called to follow him and be on mission for him. And when we follow, we do what he does. Now, I cannot heal people. At least I don't think I can. I wouldn't ask you to trust me that I could. Just We'll let doctors do their thing, okay? But if I'm going to follow Jesus, I need to be able to have his eyes and his heart when I look at people. Do I stop for that woman that, that's dealing with the bleeding problem? I don't know because I'm not Jesus, but I know that maybe I should. Do I stop and let the guy who maybe is gonna, has been talking badly about me to his followers 
Jairus, do I, do I stop for him and help him? Do I see him with the heart that Jesus has, with the eyes that Jesus has? I don't know. Because I'm not Jesus, but I need to try to be. I need to try to be a lot like Jesus. And so I think about this idea, when we think about just one, we have to follow Jesus and we have to have his eyes in his heart. Now, there's lots and lots of people who need Jesus. And that can feel overwhelming. I get it. I feel overwhelmed by it. Let me tell you this. Don't be overwhelmed. We're not asking you to save Ohio, though Ohio needs saving. Nation needs saving. The world needs saving, right? We're not even asking you to save Miami County, though it needs it. And honestly, we're not asking you to save one person. What we're asking you is to engage with one person as Jesus would want you to. And let Jesus, let God do that work, but you be faithful and obedient in finding just one person. It has to start there. It has to start with the decision to do this. You don't do this accidentally, as my life has proven over the years. I have to, you, we have to do this intentionally. We have to take that step to be like Jesus, where we can focus in on just one. This is how the church has done this for centuries. You think back to the early church in Acts, it's growing like crazy because the Holy Spirit is moving because the people are reaching out in their communities. They're loving their neighbors. They're going, what do we do with this message of Jesus? Well, he said to love God and love people. Okay, let's go do that. And they grow like wildfire because they started with just one. Just one person. And this is going back a little bit, but I want to tell you that there's growth and value in this for us. Not that we need a selfish motivation for this, or hopefully we don't, but we will grow spiritually. If you remember the sermon that I preached during the People Revolution series, when we are engaged with people, when we be, when, yeah, I'll say it that way, when we be Jesus to people, which probably isn't good grammar, we grow because we are walking alongside them. We're sitting on a bench next to them. We are doing life with them. But who knows? Maybe you're just one as the start of something. Maybe it's going to ignite something. Can I, I need to show you a chart. Um, and I'm not much of a math guy. I got a D in college algebra, and I scored low enough on my ACT that I had to take what we uh, affectionately called math for dummies, where I had to prove that I could long divide at 8 o'clock in the morning. Ugh, that was terrible. Common Core is worse, but long division was bad. So there's that. But somebody smarter than me put this table together. And on this chart, it shows two categories. It shows an evangelist or a preacher and the amount of people he can engage with um, at a church, we'll say, or that he could preach to in a year. And on the right, we got someone who is discipling someone, someone who's walking along side just one. And what we see here is as time goes on, both the numbers continue to grow. But when we get to, say, year five, the evangelist has had the opportunity to speak to 1,825 people. The discipler is now at 32 people who are then going to reproduce themselves because that is our hope and our prayer is as we make disciples, those disciples will then make more disciples. 
And then when you get down to 10 years, now we're at 3,650 for the, the one who can, the evangelist, but we're all of a sudden, we're at 1,024, where we started with just one or two. And it continues on and on and on until you get down to year 16, there's 65,000 people. 65,000 people. Would they all be in our church? I have no idea. I'm just trying to worry about year one and two. But maybe, just maybe, the just one person that you prayerfully consider and you engage with is the start of this. Can you imagine the tree that you could connect the dots back to because you said, I'm going to take a step of faith, I'm going to take a step of obedience, and I'm going to prayerfully consider how I can find just one person to dive into relationship with for Jesus. Can you imagine us looking back at this moment right now and laughing and going, God, what were you up to? I had no idea. It's exponential growth. And the good news is the fields are ready. And that God is working in advance. Ephesians chapter 2 says this. Just take this as encouragement for this whole process. He says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let me read that again. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's awesome. God is going out before us, preparing the hearts and the minds of someone. What he's asking of us is to be obedient, to be faithful, and do what he's asked us to do, which is go love them like Jesus would. But it starts with the intentionality of finding one person. Just one. And be open. You're just one person may not be who you want it to be. God's got a sense of humor like that. It may be someone that you have been friends with for years and it's just like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I don't know who it's going to be for you, but I do know this, that God is already preparing both you and that person for you to live next to them and be engaged with them intentionally for Jesus. So today... Let's pray about who that one person can be for you. Some of you, and uh, worship team, you guys can come on up. Some of you already know who your one person is. Some of you, before I even finished today, we're going, I'm going to text this person, and they're it, and they're stuck with me. Some of you are like, please don't ask me to do this, Drew. I get it. And some of us are going, well, maybe this person or that person. So I want to just take a few minutes here. And I want to just pray for us because that said, pray to the Lord of the harvest. So let's do that. Let's not think that we have this all figured out. Let's see what God might be up to in our lives as we just try to find just one who we can connect and engage with intentionally for Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for that one person, 
or those people in our own lives who got us to this point in our, in our following you. God, we know that we may or may not have be here without them. So God, we want to just say thank you for those people. God, right now I would ask that you would guide and direct us in this moment. Would you help us find this one person? Would you put them on our hearts? Would you confirm in them, confirm in us that this is who we need to engage with? And God, this might take a few days, but let us be open and available to what your Holy Spirit would do through us as we would take this step of faith. God, for some of us, there's anxiety and there's nerves and there's worry. And I would just ask that you would just wipe all of that away. Give us the courage, give us the strength to be like Jarius, be like that woman where we just press forward and be the people you want us to be. God, help us to have your eyes. Help us to have your heart. Help us to serve those around us. And God, help us to put our faith into action in this way where we can go and find just one to begin to engage with for your son and for your kingdom. God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. And we just pray all of this in his powerful, powerful name.